Welcome to the Grow Your Practice podcast. Hi, I'm your host, Chad Madden, owner of Madden Physical Therapy and Breakthrough. Join me each week as we dive into the best practices, systems, principles, tips, and tricks to help you grow your private practice. Welcome to the Grow Your Practice podcast. I'm your host, Chad Madden. This week, I wanted to share with you a recording from a recent webinar that I hosted. To get access to the slides and videos of this recording, you can visit getbreakthrough.com forward slash resources. Remember, this was a training hosted with a live audience, so there are real-time questions and answers that I think you will find valuable. Without further ado, let's get started. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the monthly breakthrough uh, Q&A webinar, and it's really our purpose here to help you overcome any obstacles, barriers that you have uh, with regards to practice growth. In this session, specifically, uh, we're going to cover how we do our annual planning, how I'm planning for 2023, and um, also, as Bryce just uh, so nicely shared, how you can go through your um, annual planning process as well. So have you started planning for next year? Just a simple yes or no. There should be a poll popping up on your screen. And we can, uh, I can help make this, uh, keep this super basic, or we can get more advanced as well, depending on your questions. We would like this to be um, as interactive as possible. So um, yeah, if you want to either uh, share your webcam would be a good start right now or later. If you have any questions, you know, come off of mute, please do so. So we have about 50% uh, of each. Yes, I've started a plan. No, I haven't started yet, but plan to. Great. So there's, uh, when we're talking about planning, I got this from uh, the Rockefeller Hab Rockefeller habits. Uh, so if you are into planning, there's basically two main systems that I've heard of in conservative care. The first one is Vern Harnish and scaling up. The other one is um, Gino Wickman and, oh, I just blanked on the name of it, Traction. There you go. And uh, so get some feedback. There you go. Um, yeah. So Essentially, what you need to know is there's two ways to plan, two main systems to plan, and Gino Wickman and Vern Harnish have actually um, supported each other, worked together. They have very similar systems. In my experience of working with each one, traction is a more basic system um, that's good if you've never done anything before, and then Vern Harnish's scaling up is, is definitely more in-depth, having, again, been through both processes. But if you go through... Uh, Vern Harnish and Scaling Up, and you go back far enough to like the late 90s. Um, he wrote a book called The Rockefeller Habits, where he was trying to outline principles that the Rockefellers used um, to develop their, their business um, and business interests. And it, it's pretty regimented what they were doing, you know, 100 years ago or so. But um, th the one thing that was in that book that was later excluded and taken out, uh, so you have to go to the first publishing, is this idea behind a planning pyramid. And you might also be familiar with the one-page strategic plan. Essentially, the planning pyramid um, or the one-page strategic plan is just the planning pyramid turned on its side. But at the base of the, the pyramid, the foundation, we have uh, what lasts forever. So that's uh, our core values. Um, in our practice, we have three core values. This determines you know, who's going to be on our team and who should not be on our team. 
um, but it's what we look for in members. And uh, yeah, again, in our private practice, we have three. Number one is insistent on patient outcomes. Number two is uh, beginner's mind that the person is always yeah, a background of doing that, a history of doing that. And then third is that they're a team player, that they elevate others. Um, the next level above that is life of the leader. And, you know, in this case, it's likely you, you're the, the leader. And it's that time frame usually is 10 to 25 years. And when we're talking about that time frame, um, we refer to something called uh, BHAG. Does anybody know what BHAG stands for? So BHAG stands for Big, Hairy, Audacious Goal. Um, this was popularized, and the, I believe that the term was coined by uh, Jim Collins of Good to Good and uh, Built to Last. So it's, it's something that is over the horizon that you might not even necessarily believe um, as of uh, today that it's, or it doesn't seem like it's possible, right? So this is, again, 10 to 25 years out. It's something uh, that is achievable, but it's like makes you feel a little bit uncomfortable that you're considering it. So for example, um, here within our practice, it's we want to be the number one provider uh, within central Pennsylvania for physical therapy services as measured by grad by number of patients graduating. So that doesn't seem like maybe a big deal, depending on the area that you're at you're in, but yet you have to consider that what we're up against is, uh, so Select Medical's headquartered right here in central Pennsylvania, 13 miles, literally right there. They're the number one largest rehab provider in the world. And they have, you know, 30, 40 clinics um, that are in our immediate area. Plus we have three large hospital systems as well. So um, that, that's what a big, hairy, audacious goal is. Other examples might include, you know, like uh, SpaceX putting, you know, colony of humans uh, on Mars or um, Starbucks wanted to be the number one brand in the world, which they achieved. And um, that, that's another example. Um, IBM at one point, I believe, was a computer on every uh, desktop. And they did that. They said that back in the 60s. Right. So kind of crazy to think through, but that's what a BHAG is. And by the way, the, the bottom of the pyramid changes rarely. Right. So that's not something that every year, every quarter or every week you're making a decision on. That's something that you point your company in the right direction long term. And then that guides the other decisions that you're making. Up above that, we have three hags. So that's where we want to be three years out. Um, then we have our annual goals. Right. That's what we're talking about getting into. And what annual goals really determine is what do we need to accomplish within the next 12 months to move us towards our uh, not only our three-year target, but also our BHAG. And uh, so I have something I can show you here. Um, I'm going to exit out of this. Give me one second. And I'm going to show you how we apply this. And then we'll get into any questions that you might have. And I know we have some pre-submitted questions as well. So, all right. So for example, should be able to see my screen. 
huge spreadsheet. Yep, we can see it. So back in uh, December of 2017, roughly five years ago, uh, my partner at the time, Mike Gilbert and I laid out um, a 12-year, 13-year plan for our clinic, which would fall in the range of that, that BHAG um, in terms of achieving what we wanted to achieve. And we started, uh, so the actual visits that we saw that year, 41,596 um, were total visits on the year. And then what we did is we projected out 20% growth year over year. Now, there were a few things that we didn't know were going to happen. Number one is we didn't know that we were going to get three year consecutive years of Medicare declining reimbursements. Uh, we didn't know we we're going to have a pandemic. We um, only had two clinics at the time, and there was a lot of uh, there were a lot of unknowns in here, and there was no way that we could know those things were going to happen. But we forecasted forward, and if we go out here to like actually where we're at today, 2022, um, it is eerie how close we are um, to hitting this number exactly. And I, I mean like. If the goal is 86,253, which it is, we're going to be like 86,300, like just almost spot on the dot there in terms of visits. So this stuff is powerful. And no, in 2020, we did not achieve this, right? We got rocked uh, with closures and restrictions and everything else. But um, we are, we're back on track. And then what we do is every year we revisit this and say, okay, what does... You know, so for example, next year, we're going to say, okay, how are we possibly going to achieve um, 103,000 visits? So what we do is we take a look at two things um, in order to do that. Bryce already gave you one, but does anybody know what the two things are, two most important things are looking forward? If you have a visit goal. So the, it's number one is space. Do we have enough space to treat that many people? And number two is, do we have the personnel? Do we have the, the licenses that we need as clinicians to be able to see that many people, which is, if my math is right, 103,000 visits in a year would be roughly 2,000 visits per week. So then we reverse engineer it and we take a look at, okay, if we're treating 2,000 visits per week, we need roughly 2,000 square feet of treatment, or sorry, 20,000 square feet of treatment space. Um, just a quick rule that we use. And then we can also break down if each um, equivalent, full-time equivalent is um, 40 visits a week or 50 visits a week, then we need uh, 40 to 45 full-time equivalent clinicians. And then that determines not only our space plan, do we need to open up other clinics, et cetera, but also our hiring plan as well. Oh, excuse me. Um, so yeah, and then we, we forecast this whole thing out and we get into, yeah, 2029, 2030, numbers kind of get crazy where we're seeing, yeah, over 300,000 visits a year, but obviously that hasn't happened yet. Um, but it's going to be a progressive realization as we go through with planning, execution, et cetera. So does, does that help to see it, like how to think forward long-term and then break down what we're going to plan on doing in 2023? That's great, Chad. I, I was wondering, can you repeat how much space per patient? Yeah, so it, the, the every area is different. Um, and we 
we actually can reconsidered um, within the last 12 months about changing this formula, but in general, the number of visits per week, and we're, to give you an idea, we're seeing each patient on average about an hour, um, super close to 60 minutes on average. So with that, without staggering schedules extensively, that would be like opening up at six in the morning and running till nine at night, which we are not doing in our offices or opening up on the weekends. In general, our rule is we take the number of visits per week in a clinic location and multiply it by 10. That's how many square feet we need. So if we have a 4,000 square foot clinic, we could see how many, what's the capacity of visits per week in that clinic. It's 400, right? So 4,000 divided by 10 is 400 visits is the capacity there. Or we can reverse engineer it and say, okay, if we want to see this many visits, um, how do we forecast forward or how do we look at how many square feet we need? It, it's the same formula. It's 10 to 1. Does that make sense? Kat, Kat Sinowitz, uh, great question. How did you come up with the number of visits that you wanted? Is it a certain percentage of growth? Yes, it's 20%. So, you know, I'm a business book nerd, um, if that isn't apparent. Um, so Jim Collins wrote uh, an idea, and I forget what book it was in. I'm guessing uh, Built to Last, but there's something in there called the 20 Mile March, which is basically... Um, he tells the story of two teams racing to the South Pole. Team A, um, what they do is every day, regardless of whether the weather is amazing or hard conditions, this is, again, we're, they're racing to the South Pole. So freezing conditions, horrible winds, everything else. Every day they try to walk 20 miles. The, so that's Team A. Team B they, when the weather is really good, they race forward as far as possible and the weather is horrible, they hunker down. So who do, who do you think won the race to the South Pole? It's team A, obviously, right? Not only did they race to the South Pole, they, they won the race by 37 days. They also made it back alive. Team B completely froze to death. They perished. So, um, and they basically what Jim Collins does is he takes that story and applies it to all these companies that they studied about how eerily consistent their growth was. So we just that decided a while ago that uh, in a service-based business in the industry that we're in, 20% year-over-year growth is enough to stretch us, but not so fast that we're breaking our infrastructure. And we've stuck with that. Great question. Nice to see you. Uh, how do you determine the number of visits, treatments per PT and PTA each day? I mean, ultimately, Deborah, that's a great question. It really comes down to, um, so I'll give you the math way to think about it. Then you have to do like the people thing as well, right? So we're constantly juggling here. Uh, the, we, what we do is we look at number of units per clinician. So we don't, you know, in our weekly staff meeting, we don't do that. But, you know, if we have a full-time equivalent, we look at, you know, what is the, uh, what is the total expense there for our full-time equivalent PT or PTA? How many units are they billing out per week? So for example, if we're averaging four units per visit and they're seeing 50 visits in a week on average, that would be 200 units in a week. We know that we're healthy there in terms of compliance, 
right? And that we're not overburdening uh, the, the therapist. So that's how we, then we back it out and we look at visits. So if we, we have a therapist, for example, we have the office that I'm in right now, we have a, a niche therapist um, and her average is probably closer to five units per visit, right? So then we just back it out. If the expectation is 200 units per week, then it, it's 200 divided by five and we get, she's going to, you know, her capacity is essentially 40 visits per week. So that's how we, um, that's how we think through that. It is, um, we have an, a company average that we track and we look at, um, but yeah, so you're, you're constantly balancing between compliance, right? Which is like every patient that comes through billing 16 units per visit, which it might sound crazy, but I've heard worse examples. <laughs> so uh, craziness, right? Like that's obviously completely unethical, illegal, everything else, right? So we don't do that. Yet at the same time, we're also not underbilling, which is in physical therapy is like one of the biggest problems that we have is we actually underbill significantly for our services, right? So we're trying to help them balance and that they are agnostic to payer type, right? So they're delivering the care for the person in front of them, yet at the same time, they're billing legally and ethically compliantly for the, the services that they're providing. And when we do that, we find that that average typically is around four, 4.25, somewhere in that range of units per visit. Is that clear, Deborah? Does that answer your question? Yes. Awesome. <laughs> Great. Um, Hayden, when setting your BHAG, how specific should it be? Um, should it be something broad, like opening another location? Or should it be something more specific, like a visit or profit goal? Awesome question. Um, yeah, so here it, here's a pitfall. Um, it, it cannot be a number goal. Um, that, that's the challenge. Um, it, it doesn't work well. It's not motivational. It's not inspirational. It's not compelling. A BHAG is, again, a point over the horizon that um, almost makes you like nauseous to think about, like, oh my gosh, like this is going to be a huge undertaking. So it's, it, again, it's a point over the horizon. You can't see it yet. You can't necessarily define it and, um, or define it in a very clear way, at least not with numbers, right? So for us, like, we, you know, can I, do I know in 2030 in central Pennsylvania, let's say we took the, the five counties that we operate in, in central Pennsylvania, do I know the number of graduated patients that are going to be coming out of PT then? No, there's no way I can know that, right? But we can figure it out or approximate it then. Um, you know, it's the same thing here at Breakthrough. We have a big, hairy, audacious goal to help a billion people um, overcome their health challenges naturally. How, like, how do we possibly measure that? It, it seems almost impossible today, but we're getting closer, right? I remember where we were five years ago. And we're getting way closer to like actually being able to see that in the future, right? So it, it should be inspirational. It should be compelling. It should be something when you stand up um, or meet with your um, with your team members that it it inspires them as well, right? So you know if you're familiar with breakthrough and talking about a billion people 
overcoming their health challenges. That's where we talk about flipping the pyramid and all the other parts of that vision. That all fits within that, that BHAG, that big, hairy, audacious goal. Uh, and yeah, specific. So it's kind of, uh, think of it as like a, the promised land journey, right? Like over the horizon, we're going to this place. There's going to be an oasis. There's going to be, uh, you know, fertile ground that we can live. It's going to be amazing weather, you know, San Diego type weather all the time. Um, that's essentially what you're looking for within your practice. And that almost never is, you know, we want to be a million dollars in profit. Uh, profit. I want the value of my clinic to be $5 million. I want to see, you know, 30,000 visits a year or whatever that is. When I'm sharing the numbers, that is simply how we believe, how Mike and I set out that we're going to be able to achieve the, the BHAG, which is first and foremost, number of graduated patients. So yeah, inspirational, compelling, doesn't necessarily have to have numbers on it. Um, but you need to know what that journey is going to look like to get there. Um, Kat asked an awesome question here. Do you share the BHAG with your whole team? Not only do we share, Andrea, how many times do we say the BHAG at? Uh, we have a weekly meeting where we say it in every meeting. And then there's other times it comes up throughout the week as well. So more than once a week. Yeah, it is. We we say it in our staffly. Uh, our staffly, our weekly staff meeting um, in all of our, so we have six locations now, uh, soon to be seven. And in each one of those locations, there's a weekly staff meeting. It's at the top of the sheet um, in, in terms of the, the meeting minutes. Uh, yeah, it's said all the time. It's repeated over and over and, until the group just knows it without even, you know, they, they know it with Ooh. Tricky question. Uh, Deborah, how do you assign your fixed overhead across your FTEs? I think I know, Deborah, are you able to unmute yourself? Yeah, I can. Hi. So fixed and variable overhead. Um, is, is there something specific that you want me to speak to? Yeah, because I'm looking at like, right, how do you take your you know, your, your rent cost and the cost of all those fixed costs that you have, right? Age or your facilities. And it's got, I mean, those costs have to, in addition to your therapist salaries, right? I'll have to come together with those <clears throat> units that you were talking about per hour of sure. what they have to be. Yep. So how do you, how do you, how do you, how do you calculate that right now? Or how do you manage that across your seven facilities? Yeah, so we treat um, each clinic as a silo with one, um, one exception. So there are, we have, uh, I'll, I'll call them shared expenses. So in our case, like I'm in our Harrisburg office. Within this office, we also have a, not only an eight, the 8,000 square foot treatment area, we all have, so have a 4,000 square foot, well, I'll call it a central business office. And what we do there is we handle billing, um, compliance, legal, HR, um, marketing, all those other components that benefit all, all of the other offices. So let, I'm gonna throw out a number. Let's say we calculate the expense of that office to be 50,000 
dollars in a month. And by the way, how many locations do you have? Four. Okay. So, and, and you basically have one office that runs the central business functions that I just mentioned. <clears throat> um, it's spread across all those facilities right now. There's a corporate office, but it's not, yeah, it's, it's small. That's a fifth location actually. Okay. So the, what we do is we run as much as we can um, <laughs> that can be centralized. We run as much as we can out of that, essentially your fifth office, right? And then the expense of that fifth office is we prorate it across the other clinics based on their revenue. Understand that. That's what I do right now too. That's why I was curious. Great. Okay. Like yep. a, I call it like a corporate account, right? It's corporate and you're going to spread certain based on the percentage of revenue. Yes. <laughs> but so then how do you do that for each office? I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, great. So let and I'll I'll play this out here. So let um, so we we have that, and let's say that expense is fifty thousand dollars a month, and then we'll uh, prorate that across all of our offices. So that goes to the expense, the operating expense of that office, um, and then we basically have ten categories, ten large categories. Um, that that's all we look at. So my CPA might send me a 32 page accounting breakdown of expenses on the month. I want them all to fall into 10 categories because it's, I, I just found it's the way to go. So, and I'm gonna briefly go through them here. Number one is employment expense. That is very straightforward for your offices, correct? Deborah. Yep. Okay, great. Um, so employment expense, the space expense. So that includes rent or lease, utilities, everything else. That's one line item. Total space expense. Great. Um, next up would be, oh, what do we have next? Um, marketing. Next, we have CBO, which we just talked about how to calculate that. Then we have... Um, Office, clinic, each a line item. And we have miscellaneous. I'm missing another one in there. Um, oh, we used to do, um, we, we had a 10% reserve, which is what we would, um, so 10% of the gross expense or the gross revenue of every clinic was deposited into a reserve account that kept us very safe and stable. For example, in the beginning of the pandemic, when we had to go through all the processes, we were highly confident we were gonna survive because we had a fairly large cash reserve account. So, and by the way, I'm fully transparent. All of our team can see this at any time they want. It's not, we don't, we have a hundred plus employees and they can all, anybody can access this at any time, but we share, that as well. So there's a reserve expense as well. Um, slide. Okay, I'll check that out. Um, the So I don't think I missed anything else in there, but I probably did. Anyhow, we break it down into 10, um, 10 different categories. And then what we do is we have, we know what the revenue is for each office. You probably know that, Deborah, right? Fairly easy to break down with your EMR and your billing. Yes. And then you know the expenses for each clinic. The, the, and Bryce, um, 
I, I'm going to, so this hasn't been super well received within service, but I, I think it, it should be. At least when I opened up in the very beginning, I was very guarded about our financials. I very not smart. Um, it, because what happened is when we were doing really well, um, the staff didn't know it, right? Like there was no reward or recognition, acknowledgement for the work they were putting in. And we were doing very poorly. I had to like carry this burden around and like pretend like everything was okay. Not cool at all. There's, um, I'm going to, we'll go another business book. Um, this is Jack Stack. It's called The Great Game of Business. He wrote a follow-up book. It's called The Stake in the Outcome, but just read The Great Game of Business. And what he did is um, it, he talks about how to think through making all of your team members, making all of your staff, your employees, um, giving them ownership mentality. Well, if they can't see the scoreboard and it's a financial scoreboard and they're asking for raises when you're, the company's losing money and you're, it's not fully transparent, it's really, really difficult for them to understand what's going on. So we just, we, we share it. Here's how we did in November. Right. We just income expense. Here's the margin. This is how well we did. This is how well we did last quarter. This is how well we did last year financially. And it, it starts to change their viewpoint a little bit. Um, again, I used to hide it, um, created a lot or not hide it, but just I didn't share it willingly. Um, and then as soon as we started doing it, it, it literally changed our practice um, for the long term. So the how do you assign your fixed overhead? Is there anything else? Did you have another follow-up question on the fixed overhead? Okay. Thanks, Deborah. Good question. Kat, uh, let me just check out this one reference. Yeah, this yeah great. Well. I think we hit it there. I just never looked there. Oh, yeah. okay. So Kat said, um, when scaling up, Brian, how you doing? Just uh, when scaling up, even though costs rise for certain things like salaries, benefits, EMR, et cetera, are there specific things that you look at in your annual planning for cutting costs? Where do you recommend keeping expenses low when scaling? Uh, that is a great question. There's two types of ways that you can think about this. The, uh, oh, opening up a can of worms here. So for most of us, when margins are small, and I'm going to say less than 10% per Greg Crabtree is small in a service-based business. If we're less than 10% margin, that's very thin. We're, we're on thin ice. Right. So one small deviation, a 4% Medicare cut, whatever can like literally wipe us out um, or like put us in serious jeopardy. There are two things that we can do. When in danger, we can pull back. Um, and this literally just happened to us where we were proceeding forward and it was like, so our marketing budget is like 70 to $80,000 a month. Okay, so just <laughs> craziness wasn't always that way, but 70 to 80k a month, like heavy. Um, and I mean, we're 
all the stuff that you're learning about here through breakthrough is exactly what we do in, in my practice. So, and uh, we, so some of our team was like, hey, we need to cut here and save. And I was like, <laughs> like, we're not doing like, no, we're, we're actually going to lean forward. We're, we're going to pick where we can double down. Because anytime that I hear like in a marketplace, like a recession or whatever it is, um, you know, like their stagflation or, you know, just throw out any negative economic term that's going to be happening. I, I, I always view that as opportunity. Most people do not. And it's something like we kind of have to train out of ourselves a little bit. Um, so I look to at like, where can we pick up? Where can we be adding more value and generating more revenue? For example, can we be adding a cash pay service? And it, um, I'll give something goofy that'll be memorable, but like I, the likelihood of me following through with this is very low. So um, personally, I, uh, yeah. So went through some health appointments lately. And the one thing that came up on the prescription prescribed treatment was a hyperbaric chamber. Okay. The craziness, right? So I, I went full send. I got, I contacted Ben Greenfield, who is a friend of Carl's, um, was like number one trainer in the world. He's been on the cover of men's health and fitness. He's been on like all the podcasts, been on Joe Rogan, everything else. And I was like, Ben, I was like, I saw you did a session on hyperbaric, like, just give me the skinny, like, where do I go to? He pointed me to this doctor, talked with the doctor and, and I swam upstream and I'm like looking at this and it's like, it's going to be like a 20 to $30,000 piece of equipment. And like immediately what I thought was like, wow, that's like, do I really want to invest that much in my health? Probably not. There's no, there's never going to be a hyperbaric treatment center in central Pennsylvania. That's not in the hospital. Like this is kind of crazy. And then immediately I was like, wow, like I probably could get an amazing deal on this right now and monetize it. So like that, just that mech forget about hyperbaric chamber for a second but like that's how and i was like oh my gosh like we have how could we you know would this benefit any of our patients well then i started looking through you know um prognoses and like different things that we can treat and how hard it would be to be selling um hyperbaric chamber services not hard at all and i was like oh like maybe that's really what I should be doing with that time. Again, low percentage that I actually go through with it, but that is like how you want to be thinking. So like rather than cut costs, I don't I don't like to cut costs at all. And usually if I see other people cutting costs, like now it's time for me to double down. It, it's a crazy way to live, but it, is, it has worked out way too many times um, because like usually when things are going good, people falsely think they're going to be good forever. And usually when things are going bad, people think they're going to be going bad forever. And I just, the way that I've started to think is when things are going poorly within the economy grossly, um, that's usually a really good time to look for opportunities. So just something to throw out there. Cat. Yeah, I that was great, Dad. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> it's an important mindset. Um, yeah. So I appreciate that. You all, you still have to put it into like a, a, a financial plan, right? Mm -hmm. So like our 4% Medicare cut for us is going to be fairly significant. I mean, if we're 40% on $8 million, 3.2, 4% of that is, I mean, it's going to be 150 
K cut for us in revenue. So I'm thinking, how can I make that revenue up versus how can I cut expenses? Yeah. I was just curious to know if, if there was both, like if you, if there were certain things that you look to cut uh, at all, I mean, most, most of the time when you're scaling expenses do go up. Um, but I cut, you know. I cut testing. So that that's a secret is uh, it's an easy way to, so, you know, if you have a $5,000 marketing budget and 20% of that $1,000 a month is for testing new things, mm -hmm. I'll, I'll decrease that. Okay. Our 80% core that has been working the control, I won't cut that. And your marketing expense, I remember you saying it's 10, is it 10% of gross or net? 10% of gross. 10% yeah. of gross. Okay. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Chad. Good to see you too. <laughs> Andrea? Yeah. Something you've said before that really resonated with me was like, people will think like, oh, I'm going to cut costs, cut expenses during, you know, when you're feeling threatened by something, by Medicare cuts or by the economy. But what you don't realize is like by cutting those costs, you're actually cutting revenue as well. So when you're forecasting ahead, and planning, you uh, you know, you plan for those cut costs, but you don't plan for the the cut revenue that's also going to come with that, especially if it's something like um, a marketing cost or something that's helping you generate revenue. Yes, exactly. Yep. Natalie has a question in here. Uh, when sharing with your team how good or bad you are doing at any given time. Um, do you typically utilize actual number values and profits or do you use percentages, et cetera? No, it, it's very, it's crystal clear. We, you know, brought in uh, $652,943 last month. Our expenses were $527,342 and we'll include cents in there. Yeah, it's very specific. Um, and here's, you know, here's the margin. For what format do you use to share these wins or losses? Um, the, so the other, um, you bring up uh, an interesting thing here, Natalie, and don't get me wrong, like we're not leading or going into our uh, weekly team meeting and saying, hey, here's how, like, here's the exact numbers of everything. And, you know, you get to see that, for example, like I bought a hyperbaric chamber through the business. That's not true at all. But uh, like uh, most owners are running something through their business, right? That That's, I don't share that, right? The other thing is like, they see a gross employment expense. Um, they're not, they don't see like everybody's individual breakdown. So like, you know, if one receptionist is making $16 an hour, another one's making $18 an hour, they don't get to like, that. that's not what this is. It's looking at gross revenue of what we did with our work. Here's how much it cost. And usually that's earth shattering for them because they don't, you know, your average clinician who's average, who's asking for a 10%, 20% raise, or they're about to go to the hospital system, which, right, that's something that's happened over the last few years. Um, they don't realize that their revenue has to cover um, the expense for the receptionist, the expense for marketing, the expense for billing, the expense for the space. They don't understand those things. So like just to put that in front of them in very basic format and be willing to do so is going to be a huge step for most of us in the right direction. 
weekly when we're driving, it's okay, here's the big thing that we're working towards. Um, the, so if I think through our weekly staff meeting, it's 30 minutes, we run an individual one in each office, um, wins and recognition is first. So we'll talk about, you know, uh, something a team member did to, you know, they went out of their way and they, you know, a therapist went to, um, a patient's house who, uh, is in her eighties and they shoveled out her driveway, right? Like went way above and beyond that's, we're going to basically, send a parade for that person during that PT and celebrate that. So wins and recognition. We then go through metrics and um, everybody in the business at that office shares what they did that week. So if they're in billing, you know, billing for this office, we collected $46,973. Um, here's where our AR is at. And then this is what we're going to work on next week. This is what we're going to do next week. Each PT shares what they did in terms of visits and uh, attendance rate and all that fun stuff. Um, and marketing shares new patients and where they came from. So we go through that. That takes five to 10 minutes. Um, the biggest thing there is not only them being accountable to the entire group for what they did last week, but it's also them sharing what they're going to be doing next week to make it better. So we do that and they start to see like, hey, what I'm doing here, I'm not on an island all by myself and I'm the only person bringing value here. We're a team, we're collaborating together. And in the end, this is what we're producing and our scoreboard in the end, because I want a stable job long-term is that uh, you know I'm working at a financially stable company. So Chad, are you presenting those financials in, in your staff meetings? Uh, no, that's what I'm saying. Like, so it's metrics, right? But we're not, we're not like handing out the financial sheet every single time. It, it that's a longer term thing. So we're going to look at, look at that quarterly. It's never hidden. Like, if somebody wants to see it, it's there, right? It, very similar to what you see at Breakthrough, right? Like once a month, you here's a financial snapshot, right? But um, it's not. It's not the driver, like your team members, they want to be safe, but they, they don't necessarily want to be a CPA, right? So don't, don't try to give them like the CPA report every single week and have that drive. It, it, you're going to come off as like the only thing you care about is money, right? The thing to know is that for each team member, what they want is they want to be working in a financially stable company and know that they're safe. Right. So you're sharing it in a way that one, they understand we're collaborating together to achieve a financially stable environment. And we're going to be able to grow and leave a bigger impact in our community and help more people. And then um, I just completely blanked on the second point, but you get the idea. Right. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Any other questions that anybody has? I know we have a few pre submitted. Andrew, I need your help finding that because I have too many tabs open up on my computer. Yeah, I've got it. Um, I wanted to see if you had finished going through the pyramid or if there were any other aspects of that that you wanted to get back to. Well, I, I got to the annual. Um, yeah, give me one second here. Thank you for keeping me on 
track here. Great. So annual. And then what you do is after the annual plan and realize, uh, is there more detail at the top of the pyramid or the bottom? Probably more detail at the top. Exactly. So the, way more detail in what we're doing today, right? We can plan to the hour or 15 minutes or week, right? Versus here's where we're going to be 25 years from now, right? So very general, broad, general direction of where we're headed um, at the bottom. Top is very specific. So if we think about that annually, we write down, okay, we want to open up you know, for example, we're looking forward to next year. Um, we already have, we're about to open the seventh office. We have one more that we want to have open next year. And we want um, at least three future clinical directors to go through our clinical director training program, um, which is the same one that we offer at Breakthrough. So we have that, right? That That's an initiative. We need to have directors that are ready and are planning to open up the additional offices but we don't have an immediate need next year to open. Like we don't need three more offices. We just know we're going to need them in the future. Um, same, so we have plenty of space. We need to hire five more uh, clinicians to achieve that, the 103,000 visits that I shared earlier. How are we going to do that? So we put a plan together for that. But then what happens is as we go throughout the year, so quarterly, meaning uh, March 15th to the end of the month, we will look at, well, what's happened so far in Q1? Have we moved in the right direction towards achieving our 20% growth goals, which if you want to do quick math, it comes out to about 4.4% a quarter growth, if you want to look at it that way. And then from the quarter, we break down monthly, right? So here's where we're, this is what we're going to do in Q1. And then we can take a look at, this is what we're going to do in January, February, and March specifically. But we never get like, we don't go into our annual planning and then say, this is exactly what we're going to do in every single month in the year, right? We take a look at it. This is where we want to be at the end of 2023, right? And then as we're getting closer to that time, then we break down the quarter. Then we break down the individual month. From the month, we're breaking down weeks as well. And then from the weeks, we're breaking down, here's what I'm going to do over the next five work days. Um, yeah, so that, by the way, is this helpful to think about planning? Like rather than just say, here's my goal for next year and not, and you get together and you make nice binders and then you put it on the shelf and nobody touches it again. Has that ever happened to anybody ever? Yeah. Okay. Brian gave me an eyebrow raise. I'm going to, yes. Great. All right. Um, we had a question from Joan. I don't see her on here. Um, but this is recorded. So um, she said, I attended your course at PPS. I'm looking for industry specific standard ratios um, of percent of new patients that can be attracted in outpatient PT by marketing channel type. Any thoughts on where to find industry standard metrics um, for Google search, Instagram, Facebook, et cetera? What percent should I expect to get from each? Yeah. So Joan, uh, super difficult question. Uh, we are extremely on top of it um, in terms of attribution just for my practice, but I'm going to give you how, how hard this is. So we do an intake. How did you hear about us? Right. We then have a, a live person, a marketer. We have four marketers within our company 
do a, a, a patient interview within one week of them having their IE. And we then say, hey, Brian, you're in front of me. So Brian, looks like you heard about us from um, you know, a TikTok ad, right? Is that right? So revalidate it. And then we ask it again later in an email. And I will tell you that attribution is super hard to keep track of. And um, if you're doing it through your EMR or anything like that, and you're relying on a receptionist, which is something else that we've tried in the past to nail that, that is not going to be her highest priority, right? She wants to make sure the patient's on time and is ready to go in the room. So um, that when the therapist is ready for the one o'clock appointment, that the patient is in there as well. Um, she's not going to put a whole lot of, or he or she is not going to put a whole lot of emphasis on um, making sure that attribution is right. The other thing is in general, people are horrible at <laughs> remembering about how they heard about us. So I, I think it's it's a it's a hard lift. Um, the other thing is, you know, what do you want to do with that? And my guess is what just reading between the lines here, you're thinking, where should I start advertising? That is a, a little bit better question. Because, and what I talked about, you know, um, in the five stages of awareness, I assume that's what you're talking about that I presented on at PPS is like, you want to say, okay, where do I start advertising first? Here's the easiest place. It's your own patient list. That is the lowest hanging fruit. You want to send an email. We, we have some information, um, well, information constantly and tools that can help you out there, but having a patient list. And just simply uh, learning how to use that patient list via email in the right way um, is going to make your practice more valuable, is going to give you more reactivations, more word of mouth referrals, et cetera, um, rather than skipping over to something else. If you're already doing that, then you want to think about where are the most eyeballs, where, you know, where are people in my area spending the most time? The way to get that, because what's true for me in central Pennsylvania in terms of attribution and where we're getting our new patients from is not going to be true for um, likely anybody else, that same exact advertising footprint. So what we, um, you know, like, which ones did you mention there? Like Google, I've seen that done really, really well within our industry. I've also seen it done extremely poorly. Instagram, I've seen it done it really well. I've seen it done extremely poorly. Facebook, same exact thing. So if you're looking for an industry report that I, I, I'm not aware, is anybody else on this call aware of any industry report showing break, breakdown? I will tell you the one industry report that I am aware of um, shared gross revenue dedicated to marketing in physical therapy. What percentage do you think that is? So I just shared, we're at 10%. And then for our more mature clinics, we try to, uh, you know, get that down to as low as 8% of gross revenue to marketing um, as we build the patient list. But uh, what what do you think the industry average of percentage of revenue to marketing expenses is? Brian says one. Brian says one manually. Four. It's 1.9%. It, that's what it was in 2020, uh, or it was a 2020 report for 2019. That was the last accurate year that I, so 1.9%. I mean, simply put, we're not, most practices aren't advertising on 
Google or Instagram or Facebook or TikTok or anything online, right? So again, that's a talk with your patients first, ask where they're, what they're using. Um, there is so much data available about where the general consumer is in your area that it, just realize that most practices aren't advertising. And if you are, you're ahead of the game, then just look at, you know, where, where, where's my ideal patient really at? What media are they consuming? And then go there and figure that media out. Good question. That's pretty shocking. I feel like that's probably really low compared to other other industries or businesses. Probably right. <laughs> um, all right, we just have a few more minutes here, but I'll try to get through a couple of these questions. We had a lot of questions around staffing and personnel, which I know um, just has been a challenge for a long time here. Um, so Lauren asked, what do people usually do for end of year holiday bonuses? Um, and any of you are welcome to jump in and, and answer here, not just Chad. So we do, somebody gonna share? What do you do for your holiday bonuses for your team members? Okay, I'll, uh, so last Friday, we, we do an, an annual holiday party. Um, we used to, yep, uh, we provide dinner. Uh, we have, it used to be Santa Claus and Mrs. Claus, um, although I think our originals were in ill health this year, so we had a Santa Claus replacement who did an amazing job, um, but came in, gave out presents to all the, the kids. Um, yep, we provide dinner. We do, uh, I think it's called a white elephant gift exchange. Um, and uh, yeah, that is hilarious to go through. And we have a great time there. And we used to do cash bonus um, for, I think it was uh, $250 to $300 for a full-time person and $150 for um, $100 to $150 for part-time. Uh, that's changed a little bit now just to be legal compliant and ethical and all that fun stuff. We do it through uh, payroll, but um, yeah, that's gives you a general idea, like 300 or so for full-time, 150 for part-time. And uh, that that's what we've done. Anybody else do anything similar, anything like that? Brian, you take your group out to dinner. Awesome. Cat goes crazy with axe throwing. <laughs> nice. Awesome. Thanks for sharing. Um, Christina asked, uh, we're looking to offer a clinical director position to our current PT. Any thoughts on how to present this opportunity? Just wanted to get an idea of how this process would, would work, expectations on both end, what the conversation would look like timeline for clinical director training, et cetera? Yeah, so the easiest question to answer is the last one, it's 12 months. Um, very difficult to shorten that time. There, there's a lot to go from being a, a full-time treating clinician over to successfully being a director if you wanna do it the right way. 
Again, the process that I'm about to share has allowed us to open DeNovo from zero to 200 visits a week in, in 12 months. So it, it works, but you have to put that training time in upfront. The, uh, what, the other thing that we do is we ask, where do you want to be in five years to all of our team members? I mean, PTs, PTAs, everybody. And um, we're looking for people that say, I'm looking for more responsibility. Awesome. So that's checkbox number one. The second thing is we look at where they're at today and see how they're managing. So if they're a team leader and it's a PT and they're managing a PTA and an aide as well, how are they doing? Right. So if they're doing amazingly well and they have demonstrated a lot of competency, now it's time for us to challenge them and stretch them a little bit and moving to that clinical director role. If they haven't quite mastered the team leader role yet, then we give them time to do that. And we say, you know, in order for you to progress on uh, to be a clinical director, here's what we need to see as a team leader, right? So you're looking for competency and desire. Great answer. Thank you. Um, all right. Well, we are at the top of the hour. Did you want to take any more questions or should we, should we uh, close it, close it here? Uh, one more, David. Um, we have a, uh, yeah, we, we've always used a CPA firm uh, for an external CPA firm. It was a private message. Um, I have to hop on a compliant training though that's starting right now. But uh, thank you everybody for being here and putting the, the time in, uh, in the trenches, getting it together. Thanks. Thanks everyone. Thank you, Chad. Have a good one. See ya. Hey, podcast listeners, when we make assumptions about others, it's just not fair. In spite of that, I'm going to make an assumption about you. You have a growth mindset. You want to help more people, leave a bigger impact, build a better practice. Am I close? If I'm right, then I have a unique offer that I think you'll be interested in. But first, if you're a regular listener, you probably know that this is brought to you by Breakthrough, the leading platform for private practice growth. Breakthrough's mission is to help people in pain get back to normal, live healthier, and do it naturally. The best way to do this is by empowering private practice owners like you to grow your business through direct-to-consumer marketing. If you're a practice owner with a growth mindset, you'd benefit from a risk-free consultation with a breakthrough growth expert. Go to getbreakthrough.com forward slash podcast offer to take advantage of this unique opportunity. On that call, you'll learn the key principles of how practice owners are helping more people, creating a bigger impact, and building better businesses with Breakthrough Systems. As an added bonus, the team at Breakthrough is giving a $50 Amazon gift card to any of the podcast listeners who attend this growth consultation. Sign up for your growth consultation and $50 gift card at getbreakthrough.com forward slash podcast offer. Again, that's getbreakthrough.com forward slash podcast offer. Remember to visit getbreakthrough.com to access our free resource library designed specifically for private practice growth. While you're there, make sure you register for a complimentary growth assessment to learn about potential opportunities for growth in your local market. Again, thank you for tuning into the Grow Your Practice podcast and supporting our mission to help people in pain get back to normal naturally.